This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And welcome back to an episode of the Cooler Jets podcast. We're Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, we are back. We're on camera. We don't necessarily have a, a nice jet studio in the background, but we are on camera. So now all the comments on our YouTube videos can stop asking where the video is and instead insult our physical appearances. So that's good. Um, but we took most of the summer off. We only had a few podcasts since the draft. Um, so there's a lot to talk about. Um, before we recap quickly kind of what's happened the last few weeks and then preview training camp, uh, the Jets report, the veterans report tomorrow. Um, so there's a lot to talk about. Uh, I have to say, you know, I've been off Twitter uh, for most of the last two months or so, and I haven't been reading too much Jet stuff. I've just tried to remove myself from from social media and technology. And I have to say, anytime I think about the Jets, I started to to get a different perspective. And maybe this isn't too different, but let me know what you think. We're always positive on this podcast. We're always optimistic. So maybe this waters down the opinion. But when I wasn't drowning myself in constant Jets coverage and I was just thinking objectively about the team, I'm pretty damn excited about this year, man. I really think that there's a chance that they can they can make a serious leap. And whether that's playoffs, who knows? But I don't think that that's potentially out of the question. I don't think that – I think there is a scenario where they could go to the playoffs. Obviously, that comes down to Zach Wilson. I don't want to put that pressure on the team because I think you can still have a successful seven or eight win team uh, – seven or eight win game uh, season um, for this team. But I have to say I was thinking a lot about this team, and I was just like, you know, not there aren't many examples where – there was a gradual build of, of a bottom five team that got better every year and then slowly but surely pulled themselves to playoffs. Obviously, there's a few years there where they build it and then they take one big jump. I mean, obviously, the Bengals are the obvious example last year, but I really think they're the, the stars of a line for the Jets to potentially be that team this year. And I'll go as far as to say I think they will. I, I don't know if I don't want to say playoffs, but I really do think they're going to take a big jump and. and potentially be above 500 this year. So maybe that, is that just the, uh, the dopamine detox talking, Michael? I mean, what do you think? I mean, you, you've been on Twitter, you've been reading everybody's opinions. I know it's not necessarily a brave opinion. A lot of people in Jets Nation are excited, but I, I mean, legitimately, I think this can be a legitimately good year. And I don't mean just the seven or eight win, you know, moral victory season. I mean, this is a team I could see winning nine or 10 games. A lot of things have to go right, but how are you feeling heading into training camp? I'll start with that. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I'm I'm very optimistic, but I think the biggest challenge for me right now in terms of approaching the season is just trying to differentiate where the optimis- optimism is coming from compared to the previous seasons. Because like you said, we're always fairly optimistic and we, we try to keep it measured, but we always, you know, lean towards the optimistic side. 
every single year we we've done that since we started this podcast but it does feel more legitimate this this season it doesn't feel like you have to sort of bend things as much to picture a good season it doesn't feel like you have to come up with all these dream scenarios for them to be good because they do have legitimate talent that you expect to be good that is the baseline expectation so uh so yeah i agree with you i'm trying to keep it tempered just because of how many times we've been through this and it hasn't quite played out but uh, i think the biggest thing is that there are there are a lot of players on this team that you it doesn't feel like you have to really over predict you know just over project things yeah. for them to to picture them being good so um hopefully it plays out that way but um we'll see what happens but it does feel like there's a more legitimate path to success for this team uh, than we ha- have seen in uh, recent years. Yeah, there's definitely still a lot of question marks like in years past. But like, you know, go back to 2020, the question marks that we were asking on this podcast were like, okay, can bless Austin step up and become right. a starting yeah. corner? Like, we don't really have those questions. A lot of our questions are, can this player maintain the level of success he had last year or with another team? That's pretty much the case for everybody, every starter on this team outside of Zach Wilson and Quincy Williams who I guess we're like, you know, we're projecting them to make maybe a bigger jump, but it's like, all right, DJ Reed played like a pro bowl corner last year in Seattle. Can he do that in a similar system in New York? Um, you know, same with Jordan Whitehead, same with Lakin Tomlinson, same with CJ Uzama. I mean, so there's a, and you know, go back to even Carl Lawson. It's like that guy was the best player on our team last training camp. And then he blows out his Achilles misses the whole year. Can he come back and be anything close to the player that he was and reports out of Florin Parker are, are good so far. He certainly looks good. Um, we'll find out a lot more this week and probably more so when he comes off the, the, the pup list, we'll see when that happens. Um, so there's a lot of questions like that, you know, can Mekhi Becton stay healthy and can he repeat the success of his rookie year? Like, even if Mekhi Becton doesn't improve as a player and just plays like he did as a rookie, that's still an above average and a good tackle and a, and a tackle who can make some game changing plays, especially in the run game. Um, so there's a lot of question marks like that. Obviously the biggest one and the one that will really determine the success of this team is Zach Wilson. And so that's, I guess, where you, you can't really pigeonhole this team into any guaranteed success because yeah, there is a scenario where Zach Wilson comes out there in the first month of the season and doesn't look that much better than last year, you know, but I also think there's a lot of reasons to think that he could make that jump, especially when you read about how the jets, you know, self-admittedly felt like they maybe overloaded him last year with a lot of information and tried to simplify things as, as things have gone on. They've tried to simplify the voices in his ears. Uh, and they, they liked what they saw in OTAs and minicamp, how he's processing things faster. Obviously he's uh, been very active hanging out with his, with his teammates and getting work in, uh, in terms of off season storylines, we weren't doing a podcast when there were some, some off season storylines about Zach Wilson that came out. Michael, what were your thoughts on, on those storylines? Do you think that that, it certainly increased Zach Wilson's likability around the NFL for whatever reason. So do you think that, uh, that helps him out at all? Do you think that, uh, I don't know, gives him some more confidence that, that doesn't seem, that seems like he's maybe shed a little bit of the, uh, the preppy boy, uh, boy from Utah image. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably if anything more positive than negative, just because of the way you see that, you know, his teammates have rallied around him. Um, you know, support him on social media and then just the league wide praise that he's getting. Um, I think it definitely has to have his confidence up. I mean, let's be honest, this isn't going to affect what happens on the field at all, but um, if it is either positive or negative, I probably lean towards positive 
um, more than anything, it's just entertaining. Like off season is so boring. So to be able to have this, it has been entertaining to watch. And I think that's the most plain fact you could say about it. So what are, what are your thoughts on all of it? Well, it was pretty cool to see other NFL players like DK Metcalf calling him the goat and whatever. I would say, look, I kind of agree with you. It was more funny than anything. Like, I don't think it, it is a good thing or a bad thing. I thought it was just like objectively pretty hilarious. And then so for, you know, other guys around the league, maybe it makes it more likable. I think a lot of players, you know, I think I was listening to, I forget who it was, which it might've been Pat McAfee or one of those podcasts, people who aren't really involved with the Jets that much. They were like, the only thing I really remember from Zach Wilson is that video of him on draft night where he looks kind of uncomfortable uh, at the, on the red carpet. And so I think this, you know, now people who hear Zach Wilson, those memes are going to start flying. And I think the way I kind of view it is, you know, every single quarterback in New York, since I've been watching him, has had these types of memes or storylines come out. For Darnold, he had mono and seeing ghosts. For Geno Smith, he got knocked out in the locker room. Mark Sanchez had his own issues, if you want to call him that. Um, so I would say out of all those, this was probably the least harmful and the funniest. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's not it's not that important. But, you know, playing quarterback in the NFL is such a mental thing. I mean, you especially saw that with him week two when things didn't go well and things started to snowball that like his confidence being up i'm not saying this increased his confidence but like his confidence does directly affect his play on the field so if he's feeling good he feels like people like him some of that pressure's come off around uh, around the league of people not liking him and his confidence up maybe it's a positive but outside of that i thought it was just just pretty funny um the other thing that came out this was last week pretty big for this podcast new helmets uh, I guess we can talk more about those at the, the end of the podcast, the, the fashion segment of this podcast. But um, I, I mean, I guess it's cool. Everybody wanted the the '80s throwbacks. I, the Jets are definitely getting them next year if you read that press release. Maybe even this year, but probably next year. So we'll, we'll talk about the black helmets at the end. I'm trying to think. Is there anything else that we? Uh, I guess uh, there are four starters that are placed on the PUP list before training camp. Doesn't seem like anything will be major. I imagine these guys will come off fairly quickly. But it was Becton, Fant, Lawson, and Uzama. Um, so we'll monitor that. Um, and yeah, I think that, that pretty much takes us to where we are right now. Training camp starts tomorrow. Um, really excited. I mean, we're only a few days away from being able to watch Zach Wilson's full stat lines and an unpadded practice. Um, so I guess let's hop into some of the storylines that uh, we're looking forward um, to watching. And we talked a lot about Zach Wilson, so let's just stick with it because he is the biggest factor on this team. I think, when I look at this roster, the Jets have built a, a roster that, that could go to the playoffs. I mean, if you put like Kirk Cousins on this team, this is a playoff roster, right? Would you agree with that? If they just put like a above average, a Jimmy G, a Kirk Cousins, somebody who is like capable of winning games on this roster. Um, yeah, I, I think it could be a board, could considered yeah. a borderline kind of playoff team. Yeah. But, but with a ceiling that's considerably high, considering all those young, right. those young pieces. Um, but when it comes to Zach, I mean, yeah, you have that, that super high floor and those games you saw against Tennessee and Tampa Bay and first half against Philly. And, you know, and then you have those, that low floor. Um, and I think it's a tough start to the schedule for him and that'll be really key. Baltimore's a tough matchup. Obviously we'll talk a lot about that, but I think it is really important for him to get off to a good training camp. I think if he can build some momentum in camp, build some buzz, even if he comes out and doesn't necessarily light the world on fire week one against Baltimore, which I don't know if he will, 
when you look at that Baltimore defense and that Baltimore secondary, he can at least feel, you know, more comfortable, feel like he's got this. I think if he has a tough mini or tough training camp and he'll have bad practices, absolutely. It happens every year. Um, but I think it would really be nice for, for Jets fans to relax and his confidence. If, if he did come out and had a overwhelmingly a pretty good training camp, um, what are some of the biggest things that, that you're looking for? Cause obviously you don't want to be grading like every single pass that they, that the beat reporters put out, but what are some of the things that you could see from Zach Wilson in these training camp practices, especially over the next two weeks before we get into preseason games that you could, that Jets fans can have any sort of takeaways from. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's mostly just the command of the offense and it's a hard thing to gauge without actually being there watching because it's something that is, can only really be grasped by himself and the coaching staff because they know what's being called, what they want him to execute. So it is kind of tough to gauge and all we can do is go off of tweets and stuff like that. So it's a tough thing to gauge, but I think that's the most important thing is the understanding the plays. Um, I, I know there was a report from minicamp and you actually brought it up to me. You, you might remember it a little bit better than I do, but it was talking about how the jets are kind of trying kind of trying to bucket the parts of the playbook with him. Yeah. Like, you know, practice a few plays at a time that are, you know, very similar, very similarly executed that only have, you know, small differences. One day working on all these plays, next day working on all these plays that are similar. Um, so then when he gets out there and does them, you know, one after the next, it's kind of like routine and he's just getting them off. So I think it's stuff like that. And like the stats might be there or they might not be there. Um, you never know with that stuff, with the tipped ball, a drop pass. And then even when one of those things do happen, like um, it might get posted or shared that a guy dropped a pass or he missed high in the pass. But that's just from a reporter's vantage point from 50 yards away, field level, no replay. Like we really don't know with any of this stuff, the quality of anything that's happening. So the most, um, I think, measurable thing is the control of the offense does he know what he's supposed to be doing is he getting through his reads at the right pace is he looking where he's supposed to look recognizing what he's supposed to recognize and things like that so um that's what i'm going to be keeping an eye on i guess you know uh, with with as as much as we can gauge it um i think that's what's most important yeah, for me, and it's kind of similar to what you were saying, but for me, I want to see improved accuracy and ball placement um, on all levels of the field. Obviously, I think the short area stuff got uh, magnified last year because he missed a lot of perceived layups. And for me, it's like, look, if he misses a layup every once in a while, obviously that's frustrating, but you saw that at BYU. The thing that I really want to see is the deep ball accuracy. We didn't see much of that at all last year. I mean, he had the, the Titans game and I think earlier in the season, his deep ball actually was better, but as the season went on, we didn't really see him throw down the field. So I think one of the things you can take away from training camp in the first two weeks is his accuracy, the short stuff, the over the middle intermediate stuff, which I think is probably his best area of the field accuracy wise. Um, but then, yeah, the deep shots, you're going to see some deep shots. Uh, do you know, when is the, the first practice that's open to the fans? Do you know that? Is that this Saturday? Or I think so. Maybe, maybe you can look it up real quick, but um. Yeah, you know, when the, those those practices where the fans are at, they're going to film and you'll hopefully you'll see some deep bomb touchdowns. Um, that's what I'm looking to see. But tying it into your point, it definitely looked like there were plenty of times last year where Zach was overthinking it. And I think that affected his accuracy, definitely on those layups. Um, but he's overthinking every little thing about his his footwork and his mechanics and the, the concept that the, the team is running and the defense he's going up against. Um, and I think it is 
something to be excited about if the Jets are simplifying things and it looks like, like you said, he has command of the offense, things are going smoother, doesn't look like he's overthinking things and his, you know, accuracy is looking a little better. Um, but yeah, I guess one of the things that I was also thinking about, and this will help Zach out a lot, um, is for the first time in a while, the Jets have legitimate playmakers, playmakers that can, you know, take a, a bubble screen 70 yards for a touchdown, you know, playmakers that the Jets can have a two play touchdown driver, a three play touchdown driver, you know, not even touchdowns, even just creating a 35, 40 yard gain over the last decade. The Jets have had plenty of defenses, by the way, over the last decade that were good enough to be on a playoff team. I'm not saying they were elite defenses. I think they had a few defenses that were very good, but go look at some of the top Bulls defenses and the Rex Ryan defenses after they were bad. And hell, even 2019, the Jets defense wasn't that bad. The problem with this team has obviously been the offense uh, and the quarterback gets a lot of the blame there. And the offensive line has gotten a lot of the blame there the last few years, but really what this team has lacked is just any sort of explosive playmakers. And they actually have that. They actually have that with Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore and Brees Hall uh, and Michael Carter. And I guess you could throw Braxton Berrios or Corey Davis in there and the tight ends they brought in. They have legitimate guys that can make plays at any point uh, during the game and at any part of the field. And I think that's for me is really exciting because that is going to take a lot of pressure off of Zach is that he isn't going to have to orchestrate these perfect 12, 13 play touchdown drives. I think, I think it's more likely you see this, this year where maybe Brees Hall rips off a big 40 yard run. And then CJ Ozama takes a play action pass and he is able to run 35 yards and the jets are inside the five and they punch it. You know what I mean? Like, I think you can see more of those drives, the types of drives that you see when you watch, Kansas city or Buffalo. And you're like, they're playing a completely different sport. Um, so those are the types of things that, that I, that can be really excited for this season, but starting with Zach, these next two weeks, you just want to see him look in command and you want to see the, the ball placement, the accuracy um, looking nice. I, I would say the, the other storyline outside of Zach, that's probably the biggest one to watch is the tackle battle between George Fant and Makai Becton. And Becton is probably the bigger storyline because he missed last year, because there's been so much scrutiny about him. Uh, and then, but with George Fan, you can't forget this guy's kind of held out about, a, you know, about his contract and he's put out some cryptic, you know, cryptic tweets about it as well. This is a guy who wants a contract extension. L- let me ask you this before we talk uh, about the, the camp battle. Do you think that the Jets should, and do you think that the Jets will extend George Fant before the season? Or do you think that they should wait on that decision? Um, I, I don't think they will just because I feel like it would have been done by now because, you know, George Fan is a Joe Douglas guy. He's a player who is clearly signed on the basis of the scouting staff and Douglas, you know, projecting him as a player who would improve. It's not like they just went out and signed this great player. He was a guy who they signed, you know, based on projection. So that was a Joe Douglas signing. I think he's high on Fan. So if they really want to extend him, I feel like it would be a priority and it would have been done already. So I think they're kind of still in wait and see mode to see how the competition plays out with him and Beckton. Um, there seems to still be some health issues for him to work out a little bit since he's on the PUP list to start uh, going into camp. Um, and then let's see if he can maintain that season that he had last year. Um, that's what they did with John Franklin Myers. He had that great breakout season in 2020 um, and then once he had a nice five games, uh, I think it was four games uh, in 2021 to kind of prove that it was for real, then they were like, okay, and they extended him right. within the season. So I think we could see something like that with Fant if he has a good start to the year. 
Yeah, that's a great comparison. I really, I think that's a, that's a great way to look at it. I think you're right. I think that if, if George Fant comes out the first month of the season uh, or just even before the buy and looks like he did last year, I definitely think an extension could be in the pipeline. The benefit to, to signing him now is that maybe you get him on a bit of a discount because you look at the, the price tag for franchise left tackles, it's expensive, you know? And so if you sign him now, maybe you get him on a little bit of a discount. The risk is, was last year an anomaly. He faced an easy schedule. You know, there's the uncertainty with Becton. Is Becton more of your left tackle? Is Fant the same at right tackle? So there are question marks. I think you're right. Let training camp play itself out. Let the first few weeks of the season play itself out and then open those discussions. Uh, when you look at Becton, some photos have leaked of him. I think he was at his dentist or something in June, but he looks pretty good in that photo. And then Sala was talking about him this week, how he's been in the building every day the last 40 days and uh, he's gotten his weight down and he's looking good. So some positive momentum coming out of the Becton camp, which we haven't really gotten any positive momentum there in over a year. Um, so that's exciting. How do you see the Jets managing this? Because both of them start on the PUP. So I don't know when exactly they'll come off. They could come off the second day of training camp or the second week or hopefully not longer than that. Um, so it's like, I guess the starting offense won't open up with either of them. And then one will get healthy and then they plug him in at left tackle and then both get healthy. And do they try to rotate them at left tackle? Like, give Becton a day at left tackle, fan a day at left tackle, or do they just do what we think that they'll probably do? And that's George fans, the left tackle, but Becton's the right tackle until further notice. How, how do you think they handle this whole battle and how excited, how intrigued are you in watching this play out? I think it will be a fair competition. It seems like that they do want to give them both a chance to, to win that job because I think they both have a fair claim to it. I mean, Becton, it was his job and he you know only lost it because of injury. And, you know, fan played really well in the role. So I, it does seem like they both or they want to give them both a chance to win the job. Um, so I'm, I'm intrigued to see more so from the perspective of fan. He's interesting because I think a lot of people assume that he's better on the left side because that is where he had his breakout year last year. But, you know, prior to that, his production was similar regardless of which side he played on between uh, the 2020 season with the Jets, he played a couple games at left tackle and he had a game where he was giving up sacks to a special teams guy in the Cardinals. Um, so he wasn't necessarily better at left tackle prior to last year. I think last year was just kind of his, him hitting his football prime because he didn't play until he never played football until his final year of college and then in the NFL, he didn't get a ton of reps as a starter until the end of the Seahawks. Well, his uh, first year at the Seahawks, he played a little bit, but he was injured. Then he was a backup. So we didn't have a ton of starts either. So I think last year is him just kind of hitting that prime in terms of football experience. And he might have broken out in the same way, even at right tackle. So I'm just interested to see how he answers that question. Is he a left tackle? Can he do the same thing at right tackle? Um, and then, you know, you mentioned the contract situation, how it affects all of that, you know, are the jets okay with paying him as a right tackle, you know, do they want him at left tackle? Uh, it's, it's a really intriguing situation, but to go back to how we opened this podcast, I think what is exciting about it is that we're not sitting here, like trying to project Brandon shell being good or Chuma Idoga. Like these are good players. We'll see who ends up on which side. And obviously we'll see if they stay healthy and, and all of that, but these are good players. Becton's a top 11 pick with a very promising rookie season when healthy. George Fant is a, 
a veteran who had a great season last year. Again, see if he maintains it, see how he does on each side. All those questions are legitimate, but these are guys who have proven they have elite talent. It's not just wishful thinking like, you know, Idoga has great tools. Let's see if he develops. Brandon Shell, you know, pick your guy. Like these are players who have shown they can do it. So there are question marks, but we know these are good players. So these are good problems good debates to be having. So very interested to see how it plays out. Yeah. I do wonder if they do, you know, like Fant gets the first game at left tackle against the Eagles and then Becton gets the, the game against the Falcons at left tackle. And, you know, if they both perform similarly, I, I guess it'll be judged on, okay, well, if they're both good left tackles, who's the better right tackle, um, which, you know, keep in mind, George Fant, his Instagram bar, his Instagram bio right now is left tackle. He's making it very clear. He wants to be a left tackle. He wants to be paid like a left tackle. And, you know, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. He, he's, he said, even before he came here, he's more t- comfortable at left tackle. And back yeah, a guy. even after he signed, I think he said that uh, he, he came here to right. play left tackle was kind of surprised by the Beckton pick. So he's definitely made it clear that he prefers left tackle Um, even though like I would argue that it wasn't necessarily different before this year like it definitely seems like that's his preference yeah I think yeah you know I mean look everything's mirrored and Becton even in college he was saying that they didn't even really have left tackle or right tackle his first few years they were just playing like power and weak side and so he played a lot of right tackle as well um when you look at it, just, I mean, the NFL has changed, but in the old, you know, the old days, 20 years ago, you'd say, okay, you want your better pass blocking tackle protecting your quarterback's blind side on the left side. And then maybe you might, you know, you're run blocking more Mahler type. Think of like a Trent Brown or somebody uh, at right tackle. Trent Brown's a current player, but whatever. Um, so maybe that means Fant at left tackle, Beckton at right tackle. I, who, before I ask you who you think will ultimately end up where, do you think it's better? Cause we know that, Elijah Vera Tucker is moving to right guard. Tom, Lake and Thompson will stick at left guard. Um, McGovern's obviously at center. Do you think it's better to have Becton playing next to Lake and Tomlinson, who's probably also more of a, a mauler in the run game? I mean, Vera Tucker is a mauler too, but maybe more, more athletic, more finesse, but he's still obviously got that, that mauler tendency. Uh, do you think it's better for the Jets to have Tomlinson next, next to Becton on the left side and they can just run left between the two of them? Or do you think it's better to put Becton on the right side where he's next to Vera Tucker, who's also Mahler, but maybe he's more agile and mobile and he can get out in front. I mean, how do you think, you know, ignoring the individual players, if you could choose it, what figuration of the, the offensive line makes the most sense for you? I mean, I, I think playing next to Tomlinson could be good for Becton, you know, after a year off being a younger player, you know, to be next to the veteran could really help him ease back in. And then also from AVT's perspective, if Fant is over there and he's in between McGovern and Fant, two veterans, then I think, you know, both of those guys, AVT and Becton, are now next to experienced players, right. kind of easing their transition a little bit. So I, I think I kind of look at it that way. Um, and then I think, you know, if you have AVT and Fant next to each other, that's kind of your more athletic, agile pairing over there. Um AVT can definitely maul too, but for me, I think his athleticism and movement skills is probably the more appealing part of his game, and that's definitely Fant's game. Um, and then Tomlinson and Becton is more of your mauling power side. And then the counter argument to that is, would you maybe want to balance it out a little bit yeah. more instead of you know being predictable like this is our power running side, this is our athletic side? Because 
um, you know, you don't necessarily want to be predictable. So if you had fan over there on the left side, then now it's a little more balanced in terms of the skill sets they have on each side of the line. But um, I do like the idea of putting Becton next to Tomlinson for the, just have the comfort of a veteran next to him. And then the same thing for AVT on the other side, because AVT's pass protection is definitely where he needs to improve uh, off his rookie season, specifically with stunts and blitzes and things like that. And Fant did a really nice job with those things last year in a, in a great pass blocking season. So that could help him a lot, uh, help AVT a lot to play next to George Fan over there. Yeah, obviously this is an outside zone running system. Uh, do you think that when they run those outside zone plays or those pitches to the outside, who do you think is better between the two tackles? Who do you think is better in space getting out in front? Because Fant is probably the more the better athlete and probably more agile, probably faster. But Becton, obviously the skills that he brings as a pancaker and his ability to get to the second level, lay somebody out, get to the third level, lay the safety out. Uh, he's also pretty athletic. I mean, his combine was pretty ridiculous. And, you know, you watch Trent Williams in San Francisco, who was a guy who was player comped to Becton as like a ceiling for him. Um, very similar player to Becton, maybe not as physically gifted, but still super strong and tough and a beast. Uh, and you see what the type of fun that Kyle Shannon has. So between the two tackles, who do you think is actually better getting out in space? Like who would you rather, obviously you'd rather run behind Becton, but if you have to run a pitch or a screen, which tackle do you want running 10, 15 yards down the field? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably go with Becton. I mean, like you said, Fan is probably the better, not necessarily athlete, because obviously Becton for his size is an amazing athlete. But like, you know, who do I want running the three cone drill or, you know, something like that? Probably Fan. I mean, the guy was a basketball player. I mean, he, he's bulked up since then, but, you know, he's an amazing the athlete. Fo- the photo he posted on Instagram, he looks insane. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a great athlete, but I think, you know, Becton has – he showed in his rookie year film. It's like, even though he's 370 pounds, he gets out to the second level and takes great angles to cornerbacks, to safeties. He knows how to get there, get his hands on their hips and just drive them out of the completely out of the picture. Uh, He showed that constantly in his rookie year film. Whereas, you know, Fant, I think is solid at it, but I mean, Becton has shown he's just as good. I think at taking the angles and accurately, getting to the defender and then he on top of that has the power and finish finishing ability that he has um i think i would still take becton there um even despite being you know the bigger guy maybe not necessarily as smooth of a mover um he's just so good at it in his rookie year that i think he proved that he can do it well all right i'm asking another question i promise that there's a point to these questions between tomlinson and avt who do you think is the better pulling guard who do you think you'd rather have, you know, pulling for the other side and getting out in space or pulling for the other side and, you know, setting up a trap run or something like that? I think AVT can be better at that, but for now I'd probably go with Tomlinson being the more experienced guy. I think he's, um, yeah, I think he's probably more established in that right now. Yeah. Well, so then that means if you put Becton on the right side and, you know, you have AVT at left guard. You can run those plays. The I mean, obviously, look, there's a bunch of different types of running plays, and so things will get mixed up. But if what you're saying, you'd rather run behind Becton and you think Tomlinson's the better polar, maybe it makes more sense to have Becton on the right side then. Because you'd have him on the right side, you run behind him, you have AVT getting out in space too, but then you can pull Tomlinson as well. And then you could still run between Tomlinson and Becton, 
I don't know. I just, I think those are the types of conversations. It's not just who, who, who looks better in, in training camp practices at left tackle and right tackle. It's also like, you know, the offensive line is one unit. It's obviously it's five different players, but they're really playing as one player. And how do you balance it out? I'm of the belief. I mean, it's tough because I think an offensive line of Becton playing next to Lake and Tomlinson is exciting. And the, the points you just raised are ones that I definitely think a coaching staff would consider and something that fans don't consider. It's like, okay, well, we have AVT moving positions and we'll also, if Becton plays right tackle, he's going to be moving positions. Do we want the two guys who are young and changing positions playing right next to each other or would we rather sandwich them in between veterans? Um, that's something to consider. I don't know. It'll be that to me. Obviously, we're going to be watching Zach Wilson and how does his arm look, accuracy, whatever, all that stuff. But that to me, the Fant versus Becton, especially since both of them have storylines coming from the offseason into camp, is going to be fascinating. Um, so that'll be something we'll, we'll keep talking about. And uh, I mean, we can't talk about too much more until they, they come off the, the PUP list. Uh, one of the other things, and we talked about Tomlinson a little bit, but the other storyline, once you move past the tackles, is the newcomers, especially the rookies. That'll be, I think, you know, is there a guy like last year, Elijah Moore, even going back to OTAs, he started to create a ton of buzz. Um, and then when training camp rolled around, it was like, is Elijah Moore a best player? <laughs> like, you know, and then it was like Carl Lawson's probably the best player. Elijah Moore might be number two. And Moore got off to a bit of a slower start. I know he got injured and Wilson wasn't playing too well, but then he obviously started to come on around the Bengals game. Um, you know, is there going to be somebody like that that steps up, has a really nice camp, and that makes you think like, all right, this guy is going to be a good pro. No matter what happens in the rookie season, we have something here. Um, who do you think is the most likely out of all the new – we'll start with the we'll, – we'll do the rookies because that's probably easier. Out of all the rookies, who do you think is the most likely to make that – in the first two weeks, so no, no games, so keep that in mind, to make that first, you know, wow impression the Jets might really have something here. Who do you think is the – out of all the four of Sauce, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, Brees Hall, sorry, Michael Clemens and Jeremy Ruckert, I guess we can throw them in there too. <laughs> who who stands out the most over these these first two weeks? So only camp practices, right? Yeah. Oh, well, the green and white scrimmage, if you count that. I okay. Guess. So I think my first answer was going to be Brees Hall, but I think the training camp practice environment is more favorable to a defensive back than a running back, you know, because – I, th I feel like defensive backs and receivers get to play pretty legitimate football right. in practice. You know, they get one, one-on-ones, they get to make plays on the ball. Uh, and those are kind of the two positions you hear the most about um, outside of quarterback, obviously, but running back kind of isn't as legitimate, I think in practice, because, you know, there isn't real contact for the most part. So I think it's kind of harder for them to stand out Um from a from a fan perspective in terms of a flashy play perspective because it's uh you know it's it's not much it's not not too similar to their real job on the field whereas you know i could easily see sauce gardner matching up against garrett wilson and elijah moore making some awesome pass breakups and interceptions so i i think gardner has the best chance of doing it um i think in terms of the actual rookie season it's probably Brees hall for sure yeah. but um um, in training camp, I think Sauce definitely has a chance to, to be that guy who's this year's Elijah Moore, just standing out in these amazing ways to start out the training camp practices. Yeah, I think Sauce is definitely a good pick. And I mean, there's so many good rookies on this team, but Garrett Wilson to me, and you raised a great point that receivers and corners could pretty much play exactly like how they would play with pads on. Like Jermaine Johnson, 
you can actually you can get a te- you can kind of get a sense of Jermaine Johnson. Not really in OTAs, but you could see how good Carl Lawson was in last year's training camp because those guys are rushing. So you can get a sense of Jermaine Johnson. I think if you look at rookie edges, uh, not a lot of times do they set the world on fire year one. You, you know, you see flashes and they get sacks and you maybe see a higher pressure rate, but those finishes and stuff consistent finishes those 10 sack guys don't you know even miles garrett i think i was seeing tweets about this yesterday too it was like you know miles garrett didn't do that year one tj watt didn't do that year one so jermaine johnson you got to temper expectations at the little bit with that position but i think i think sauce is a good pick but also rookie corners also kind of struggle a little bit too the the position that we've seen consistently over the last few years of rookies have come in and immediately off the bat been successful receiver and that's why i would say garrett wilson is a guy that keep an eye on um he, he didn't do too much during OTAs, but wasn't like there was much to do. Um, I think for him, a lot of it's going to be mental taking in this whole system, but the more he starts to get it down and the, the more one-on-one drills that you see in camp and the ability to just let him fly. Uh, I think you're going to see him really pop. I mean, the ideal scenario is all of these guys pop. Um, but like you said, I think when you get to the games, I think that's when you're going to see Brees Hall really um, start to make a statement uh, out of the free agents. Is there anybody in particular that you think, uh, We'll have the Carl Lawson impact of, wow, this guy might be the best guy player on our team. I think I'm going to stay in the secondary and go with DJ Reed. I think he's a guy who could – I think he's kind of one of the more overlooked additions to this offseason. I think most people have kind of labeled him as, all right, here's a solid starter that we added. But I think he can really be a lot more than that. When you look at his production last year – and what he did in terms of just, you know, he didn't have a ton of interceptions. He only had two, both were in one game against the Lions. But um, his coverage production in terms of just limiting catches, limiting yards, limiting touchdowns, you know, all that meat and potatoes stuff at cornerback, like that was elite what he was doing last year. And, you know, he did it in zone coverage, playing off, playing on the right side in a similar scheme like he'll be playing in with the Jets. And I think he can be a top-end starter for them. So um, similar logic to Sauce, I think, in terms of, you know, defensive backs having a good chance of showing out in training camp. I think uh, Reed is a good opportunity to make some noise in training camp as well. But uh, but you mentioned Carl Lawson and pass rushers. They could stand out as well. So um, I think when you look at that part of the part of the team, I think, um, you know, you mentioned Johnson. I think I know we're talking about veterans now, but I think Johnson could make some flash plays in training camp. I think it's an environment that's favorable for him for his kind of player. Like he's an explosive guy, he's a good athlete, he's long. So in this, you know, not entirely real football environment, I think he's you're really gonna see his potential in training camp because he's gonna get the chance to use all of his raw gifts that he has um but it's also not necessarily a real um you know mano mano all the time so some of the weaknesses might not show up as much um but uh but yeah looking at the veterans i think dj reed is he gets my pick i think he's going to be going to surprise some people not not by being good this year but i think he'll surprise some people with how good he is that's definitely a good pick um just to be different from you i'll say tyler conklin he was getting a lot of That's buzz in OTAs. Yeah. It seems like uh, him and Zach had a good connection. Now, we haven't seen too much of Uzama um, on the PUP, but he was out there training in Idaho with Zach Wilson at tight end U, so I can't imagine he'll be out for too much longer. 
Um, I'll say Conklin, but either of those tight ends, I really think you're going to see the next level with this offense when you see production at that spot. And over these first two weeks, I think Conklin's the guy that you're going to see separate himself as more of the, um, the receiver that Zach goes to. I kind of view these guys as like, if you're going to have, you know, somebody go 10, 15 yards down the field, jump ball, or even further, you know, deep, anybody's going down the field. I think that's where you go. Tyler Conklin possession, catch, go up and get it. But if you're going for something short, uh, something that you want a lot of yak, um, something, a scramble drill where Zach has to find somebody, get it to that's where CJ Uzama is really going to step up. And I think Uzama is probably the better inline blocker too. Um, and you know, the first two weeks of training camp, you get some of that and you'll get a sense of that. But I think Conklin and his skill set is going to shine these first few weeks of training camp uh, and hopefully into the season. Um, we'll have other, obviously other podcasts. We'll talk about some, some topics because there, there's some that are popping into my head that we could say for another day. Um, I guess a few more things on, or I guess two more things that we're looking forward to on training camp. We'll talk about some camp battles and then we'll get out of here. Um, the first one is not the rookies. Uh, not the veterans, but there's a few guys on this team, young guys that have had success and now they need to take that next step. You know, whether it's a guy like Elijah Moore or Michael Carter or an Elijah Vera Tucker or hell, even a guy like Quincy Williams, who his success is maybe a little bit different than those guys, but he still had a, a good season and he's clearly a, a player this coaching staff is banking on. You know, when I talk about this being a special team and a team that takes its leaps, a guy like Quincy Williams on other, on other Jets teams, he would be like one of four or five guys that we'd be like, all right, this young guy who's had some success is going to need to step up and become a great, consistent starter. And that's just not realistic. It happens sometimes, but you can't just expect that from all your players. But Quincy Williams is a guy that the coaching staff clearly loves. He's a scheme fit. He really did make a lot of flash plays. I thought he got better as the season went on, and now he has a full offseason uh, with this defense. He's, to me, a guy that we should really watch. Um and, you know, maybe that's just me trying to be optimistic because if, like, if Quincy Williams is good, this defense is really going to take a, you know, a leap just because that's the biggest hole right now is looking at linebacker outside of C.J. Mosley. Who do they have? They're putting a lot onto Quincy Williams' shoulder. He's a guy that you won't really be able to tell too much, I guess, from training camp, but throughout the entire training camp and preseason and, I guess, early season, uh, a guy to keep an eye out because if he takes his leap, if, you know, that's such a good sign for the future of this program that this coaching staff really bought into this player had a vision for him, thought he fit their scheme, you know, bought into him and then saw it pay off. Um, so he's a guy to keep an eye out for is if you want to, you know, if he's bad, I mean, they, they can move on from him, cut their ties, whatever. But um, I, I'm really excited for him. Who's a young guy for you um, who has had some success is returning and you want to, or maybe he doesn't have success at all. Maybe he's an Ashton Davis or something like that, but somebody who's been on the team, young guy, you want to see him take, the next step. And now that we're on camera, I can actually see you having to scramble to think of something. Yeah. The last um, there's a, there's a lot of good answers to this. That's why I'm kind of scrambling because, you know, I could just say someone off the top of my head, but there's definitely a lot of options that I'm rolling through right now. So I'm going to go with one who I think has um, who, if they break out could be the most important and impactful for the team. Um, I'm going to go, going to go with Jonathan Marshall because I think that, um, you know, the defensive tackle depth chart is probably one of the weakest links on the roster right now, because, I mean, at the top, it's obviously really good. You got Quinn and Williams. Uh, presumably, John Franklin Myers will be playing the bulk of his reps there this year. So really good. If you listen to Connor Hughes, he keeps trying to hammer home that, that 
JFM is the base defensive end and Sheldon Rankins is the starting defensive tackle, which I don't really, I mean, like, I understand what he's saying that JFM will probably play some reps at defensive end, but he's really trying to hammer home that that's his position that he's starting there. And then he kicks in on third downs where it's like, I don't know. Like even you were saying this before last year that he's better at three tech. I, I just doubt that because I mean they they have so many edge rushers that need yeah. snaps. You've Carl Lawson, Jermaine Johnson, Bryce Huff, Jacob yeah. Martin, Michael Clemens, yeah. Vinny Curry's going to try to make the roster. I just have a hard time seeing JFM taking up so many reps, especially when you consider the lack of defensive tackles that they have. So I if if they're in a run heavy situation, it makes sense. Yeah, like he'll play there sometimes, I think, but I definitely think he'll be playing at least 80% of his snaps on the inside. That'd be my guess. Um, But yeah, I think beyond those two guys at the top of the defensive tackle depth chart, assuming Franco Myers is there. um, And if he's not there, it only increases the importance further of this player breaking out. Um, There's not a lot there, especially from a run defense perspective. Like if Sheldon Rankins is back to his old pre 2021 self, good pass rusher, but he's never been a run defender. Um, and the same thing for Solomon Thomas. He could be a decent situational pass rusher, but as a defensive tackle, not much of a run defender. Nathan Shepard, same thing. Um, I mean, even pass rushing hasn't been great, but he does have some good moments in the passing game. Run defense, that's never really been his thing either. So it's tough to, like, when you're rolling through the defensive rotation, looking at different packages they could sub in, like, without Quentin Williams out there, it's hard to come up with a combo of D tackles that you could put on the field and feel comfortable about stopping the run. So um, that's why I'm looking at Jonathan Marshall because, look, Sheldon Rankins is a veteran. He's not improving. Uh, Nathan Shepard is – he's pretty old at this point despite only being in his – going into his fifth season. So you're not expecting improvement from them, but – Marshall is a guy who could conceivably develop into that good run defender who um, who can fill that role for this team. So, you know, he has all the athletic tools. He can play some nose tackle. And I think he was more so drafted for his pass rushing. But, you know, he did show some run defense potential in college. He wasn't great at it. Um, he definitely was moved around a little bit or at more than you would like on his uh, Arkansas film. Um, so there's a reason he was the six round pick. It's not something that you expect to happen that he's going to break out, but if he can do it, it can be um, very beneficial for the jets to uh, be able to fill that, that hole that they have right now in terms of just a second good run stuffer at defensive tackle behind Quinn and Williams with a six round pick developing in house. That. Development like that is how teams win championships because every team can spend cap space. Every team can make trades. um, Every team makes first round picks, but the teams that are getting contributors from these unexpected places, that's where, that's how you get a leg up on other teams because most teams, six round picks are not, you know, turning into contributing players. So the few teams who do get it, that's where they get that advantage on other teams. So I think, Jonathan Marshall with his elite athleticism, his explosiveness, he's a fit in this scheme Um, because that's another thing. Like I think there's a misconception with what the Jets need from a run stuffing defensive tackle in the scheme. He doesn't have to be a nose tackle. We're not talking about Snacks Harrison here. 
like a guy who lines up over the center is 350 pounds. That's not what you need. You need more of like a DJ Jones type player who was, you know, with the Niners past few years, signed with the Broncos this off season. Um, he's only, I think, 305 pounds, which is on the, you know, lighter side for a defensive tackle. And he didn't play a ton of, you know, pure nose tackle directly over the center. It's mostly, you know, one technique on the shoulder of the center or some two-eye technique on the inside shoulder of the guard. And he's, you know, he's a run stuffer, but he's doing it in a 4-3 scheme-fitting way where he's shooting gaps, he's athletic, he's on the smaller side, so he's got some more slipperiness for the position. Um, That's what you need, and Jonathan Marshall has the physical tools to be that kind of player. Now we just have to see if he has the the fundamentals, the mental aspect, all those things. But uh, it would be very big for the Jets if he could uh, fill that role for them. Hey, don't forget Tanzel Smart. That's true. Tanzel hey. Smart. He he was – I don't know why he didn't make uh, – I forget if he actually got onto the team for snaps during the season at all. But I know he – you know, if oh. he did play, it wasn't at all or yeah. barely much at all. But he was really impressive in the preseason last year at doing these things we're talking about, being a run stuffer in this scheme. So um, definitely him as well. That is a good name to throw in there. Well, that's the thing with this position because you're saying like, okay, well, the, one of the Jets' biggest needs is run stuffing, defensive tackle. I feel pretty good about that because that's got to be the easiest position in the NFL. Right, play. yeah. I, let me, like, think about the last two guys the Jets have gotten. Snacks Harrison, undrafted free agent, fully fought Akasi, six-round pick. And those two guys were beasts. And even even a guy like DJ Jones. Sione like, Pauha before that, who uh, was yeah, not a so, huge investment either. No, exactly. So th- this is a position you can find – like a, a guy like Tanzel Smart just happens to be, oh, he's pretty good in this role, or Jonathan Marshall, a six-round pick. Um, the thing that really speaks to me, kind of what you're saying, is this is going to be Quentin Williams' role. And so, obviously, if he goes down, the Jets are in a bit of a situation here. But if he stays healthy and he's able to stay healthy throughout the season, um, I don't think this will be too much of an issue because, in my eyes, Quentin is kind of perfect for this role. Um, now they pay JFM. Quentin's looking for a contract. If Quinnen plays like he's he played last year, um, do you pay him? I don't know if uh, what he wants. Maybe not. But if Quinnen, who goes out there and finally, you can't really be like, all right, he's the only guy out there by himself. Like you could kind of say in 2020, it's like, all right, well, JFM is going to be probably playing more three tech, and he can eat up a lot of those pass rushing opportunities inside. You have Carl Lawson, you have Jermaine Johnson, you have Jacob Martin, whatever. Um, there's plenty of other dogs in that line to eat and to take pressure out of off of Quentin Williams's plate that I'm expecting a big year from Quentin Williams. And even if that's not like a 12 sack season from him, you want to feel his impact and him collapsing the pocket consistently and allowing these edge rushers to get home. That's what I want to see from Quentin Williams. Um, and he has to be a beast in the run game. You have to see him getting those consistent pressures. And yeah, I'd like to see him finish some sacks. Um, and if he does that, then I'm all for the jets paying in the bag, but this is a contract year for Quentin. He knows it. I'm sure he's motivated. He looks like he's in good shape just from the photos of the stealth black <laughs> helmet uh, reveal. I was looking, I was like, all right, it looks like he's, he, you know, he looks big, but he looks lean. Um, so we'll see, you know, but, but he's the guy to really keep an eye out for because if he goes down, you could exploit a potential weakness in this unit. Um, but if he's healthy, I think he's about the perfect player for that spot. And can he take that leap into becoming, you know, a pro bowl, uh, a pro bowler at that spot? Uh, and the run defense as a, as a whole, I think, will be a lot better, not just because of, um, you know, 
obviously the, the defensive line has got a little bit better, but the interior has stayed mostly the same and you lost Foley. So if that's a, maybe a bit of a detraction, but they added Jordan Whitehead, who I think will help a lot. Both their corners between sauce and DJ Reed have shown uh, the ability to come down and make those tackles in the flats um, another year in the system. So, and I think Jermaine Johnson will be naturally pretty good at defending the edge and setting the, the, the edge as a run defender um, early on as a rookie. So, I think this run defense will be tested, especially early on week one. And we'll see some of these things pop up throughout training camp and what are the holes. And, um, but overall I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, it's the story with every training camp and, you know, there, there will be injuries. Undoubtedly there will be injuries, injuries that will probably even carry into week one, but for me and knock on wood, Michael, I'm looking at you, but you look like you're about to fall asleep, but you better knock on wood. All right. Uh, no, I don't know if this is real wood, but uh, fake wood looks like it, so okay. it counts. It does the, count. It's like no long term, please, no long term horrible injuries that really pop, you know, take some air out of this balloon right now. Because I think people are really high on the Jets right now, and Jets fans have really bought in. I, I'm excited to see what the atmosphere is like at like the green and white scrimmage and stuff like and these practices and stuff. You know, are the fans going to come out and? the support because every Jets fan that I've talked to is pretty, pretty hyped about the season. And I, I have fully bought into the, they can make the playoffs if they, if Zach Wilson really takes a, you know, if Zach Wilson plays like he did toward, down the stretch there, like if we get the Zach Wilson that played against the bucks or the first half against the Eagles, just somebody who looks comfortable in control of the offense. I'm not saying he has to be Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, but just like in control of the offense, if he just does that and the team stays healthy, I think this is, uh, at least a team that's fighting for a wild card spot in December. So very excited about all that. Last thing, Michael, actually, yeah, I mean, two things really, but one quickly and then one just before we get out of here. Uh, Carl Lawson, that was the last thing I wanted to mention. The the return of Carl Lawson, who was the Jets' best player in training camp last year, gets injured. We haven't seen him. Seems like he's in good shape. That to me is a storyline that I'm really excited to watch is how does he look this training camp compared to last training camp? Cause you know, if he, if he's not as dominant, I guess the positive is like, all right, the Jets offensive line is holding up better, but you know, I kind of want to see a Carl Lawson when the pads come on, whoop some of these offensive linemen and really get that momentum and, and juice back under this Jets defensive line because he was having such a good offense or off season last year. And it was such a bummer to see what happened to him. So I'm very excited to see Carl Lawson back in the field and only a matter of days. I mean, I, I, he could be practicing within the week. So that is, to me is just so exciting that we've, been, we've had to wait this long for the return of Carl. It sounds like it's around the corner uh, and we get to see him. I don't know who he's going to be matching up with against George Fan or Makai Becton. It might make the left tackle competition a little harder to grade if Carl Lawson is just whooping these guys on a daily basis. But uh, super excited to watch Carl return. Um, obviously, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. There's one yeah, one. no, I mean, like he he probably has the highest ceiling out of any of their, you know, counting out the draft picks and the young players, probably the highest ceiling of any of their, you know, you know, veteran established players yeah. has, has shown the highest ceiling of any player on this team because, like, he he's never had the sacks, but just watch his film and you know see his explosion and his get off. And the various moves that he has, he's got an inside spin move. You know, he can chop you. He can club you. He can dip and just speed around the corner. He, he's got it all. And, you know, he had – you want to talk about a guy who had no pieces around him. I mean, 
in 2020, he had, was one of the best in the league at getting pressures, getting wins, but he just had no help. I mean, the Bengals' best um, interior D lineman in terms of pressures was, I think, 81st in the league at his position in pressures. That was their best interior lineman. Wasn't even one of the 80 best guys at his position in terms of pass rushing. Um, and Lawson had, in addition, he had the highest percentage of his team's quarterback knockdowns of any individual player in the league. He almost had half of the quarterback knockdowns of the entire Bengals defense. So he had absolutely nothing around him over there. That's why he wasn't getting the sacks. Like You don't watch his film and see a guy who's missing sacks. You just see a guy who isn't, who wasn't getting good chances to make sacks, but with this team and the guys around him here, you know, if he's the same player, he's going to turn, you know, five or six of those plays that, you know, were maybe quickly released or their quarterback hits with the Bengals in 2020, those could be sacks that could get him up to 10, 11 sacks and he can get a couple strip sacks and he, he can continue to be a pressure monster. So he, he has elite, elite talent if he's at his best, but at the same time, this is, you know, his, at least his third serious injury, I believe in his football yeah. career, um, he's been very banged up and, you know, those injuries can add up. So we'll see what type of player he is at this point, but even if he's only 80% of what he was, he would still be their best edge rusher in a very long time. And a well above average starter who would make a huge impact. It's just a question of, are you getting a guy who's going to fulfill that potential and be like the 10, 12 sack guy that we know he can be pick up right where he left off but then add the sacks in because of the better help. Is he going to be that, or is he going to, you know, not quite be the same player, but still be really effective and make more of a subtle impact in terms of just creating pressure and teeing up sacks for other guys more so than for himself. But either way, I think as long as he's healthy, you're getting a good player, but uh, how good is what will be interesting to watch. I cannot wait for training camp. Um, Starts tomorrow. I mean, we'll see when the, I don't think the actual practice is until what Wednesday, something like that. And the pads don't come on until yeah. next week. Oh, we'll see how they manage it all because they've, they've talked a lot about trying to make some changes after all the injuries they've had. And they were really light with their players and OTAs. We'll see like, do these starters play during preseason or do they, they sit them and only play them maybe the Falcons game for a little bit. Um, so a lot of stuff to, to monitor there. Uh, when do the pads come on? But as far as camp battles go, the Jets only have a few. Tackles, obviously, the biggest one. I guess cornerback. I mean, it seems pretty obvious that it'll be Sauce, DJ Reed, and Michael Carter the second. But you know, maybe maybe Javelin Gidry pushes Michael Carter the second for roles and reps in the slot. Maybe Bryce Hall makes it really hard to put him on the bench, and you're like, hey, maybe we should slide DJ Reed inside. Um, who knows? I think safety is one to keep an eye out for. Jason Pinnock is a guy that I'm pretty high on, and. I think the staff really likes LaMarcus Joyner, so he'll probably be the starter, but um, just something to keep an eye out. Backup linebacker, you know, who's going to be that third linebacker? Um, and then fifth receiver outside of, uh, is it fourth, sixth receiver? Maybe sixth receiver. Yeah, I don't know. Forget. Why, why can I do? Yeah, it's, it's between Mims. Yeah, sorry. Fifth receiver between Mims and Yeah, Jeff fifth Smith. receiver after, yeah. you know, yeah. Davis, Wilson, Moore, Barrios, yeah, the number five. Yeah, it was the, yeah, it's the battle for the fifth receiver and the loser is the sixth receiver right. cut. Um, that's one to keep an eye out for. Uh, and then I guess like fullback tight end, you know, it's like, does Trayvon West go make the roster or do they go with a guy like Nick Bowden? 
does Kenny Yaboa make it? I mean, so there's a lot of the, those types of battles and even other ones on the you know bottom of the roster and stuff, kicker, stuff like that. Um, just a lot to be excited about, but first and foremost, it's how does Zach look? You know, how do the new weapons look? And then for me, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the tackle battle and the return of Carl Lawson, I guess. So uh, a lot to be, to be excited about as there always is when we talk about the jets on this podcast, but Michael, uh, you look like you're almost comatose <laughs> two minutes here. <laughs> I need two minutes out of you because this is the most important topic of the entire show. Yes. The new helmets. What did you think of them? Well, there's a lot to break down here. So the first reaction was definitely that of disappointment because it was heavily implied that we were getting throwbacks. You know, Woody Johnson was teasing it quite a bit over the previous uh, few months. You know, there was that one tweet he put out where he's like, how about those helmets? And he was like, it was a throwback highlight video. So it was definitely not what I was expecting. Although, you know, I guess if you thought about it more, you probably should have expected it. But um, it's not what I was expecting. I thought it was going to be a throwback uniform and we'd be getting the green helmets with the 80s logo. But um, it is, I like it. I do like like it for the most part. I like the face mask. It's shiny. I like the green. The, the matte black is a good choice. Usually, usually I'm a fan of shiny helmets, but the matte black, I think it matches well against the black Jets uniform. And especially in night games, I think it'll look good. And it's a good kind of contrast to the, to the face mask. Um, the question mark is the logo, specifically the white outline. And you need the white outline because a green logo against the black helmet is just not going to stand out. But it's, it's a pretty big outline, and it makes a logo, which is not a great logo, um, pop out a little bit more than you know, you'd know you probably like. So it, it is kind of an eyesore, the logo, I guess. But uh, the helmet itself, I do like. Yeah, my thoughts on these, and it's the thoughts I have on every uniform, and we've been saying this, it's like if they win in these, these will look sick, and people will be nostalgic for them if they if they if the jets have a great next two years right and they win a lot of games in these black uniforms and then two years from now they change the unis uh i guarantee you five years after people will be nostalgic for these black uniforms so it's like even with the clip art logo or whatever it's like if they win people will love them if they lose people will make fun of them i think the logo is kind of boring and it's like it's kind of weird that they went kind of boring I don't even want to say retro. I guess it's kind of a retro basic logo. And then they went super modern with the uniforms. If you just slap the eighties logo onto these current uniforms, even with the New York and the contrail, I think, I think it still looks pretty good, but uh, I think it would look, I think those uniforms would be top three, top five in, in the league with the, with this logo. I don't know. I, I try to look at it. Like it's like a, like, I don't know, like an air force patch. I don't know. It's, it's whatever they, it definitely didn't feel entirely necessary because it worked well with the green helmets. That, that was what I was going to ask you. That was going to ask you is like, I, my favorite uniforms were the black uniforms with the green helmets. I'll see if I like these more. They certainly look cool. The face masks are cool. I think the, the lettering, I think it's Chrome too. Um, so that'll look pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it looks in the day. They've committed. They at least announced when they're going to wear them. This is the first time they ever announced the uniforms. Yeah, that's cool. they wear. So <laughs> we'll see how it looks. But I thought that was interesting. Every team is getting an alternate. Everybody's getting a black helmet. Um, uh, the one thing to consider for Jets fans who are upset. First of all, anybody, any comment that I read that's not from a Jets fan, they all think they're cool. Most of them. 
uh, I saw a lot of negativity, mostly because everybody wanted the throwbacks. Uh, I'd be curious. I would bet you, well, first of all, they're definitely getting throwbacks next year. Uh, just they wouldn't have put that thing in their press release that was basically like, we'll continue to update the, the Jets uniforms or whatever. And uh, a lot of teams have already announced throwbacks for 2023. It's like, all right, you wouldn't throw that in your reveal for your black helmet if you weren't just trying to say like, hey, calm down. Our throwbacks are coming next year. Um, so they're definitely getting throwbacks next year. Uh, I think, you know, the, the Bucks had the same issue and the Eagles did too, where, you know, just due to supply change and labor shortages, it was just harder to make these custom retro helmets. It's a lot easier to just be like, we got a lot of black. We can make a black helmet for you. Um, so we'll see. I'll see. The only, the only question I have, I actually like the white outline. I've, I've caught, I bought into it because I think it'll look good in the field is will the green lettering with the white outline clash with the white lettering with the green outline? I don't know on the jerseys, who knows, but I think they'll look cool in the field, especially if they win. I don't really care. I think uh, people were, I mean, I care obviously, but people were way too negative. It looks cool. Like wh what are we complaining about? Um, so yeah, I guess that's it, Michael. Uh, I think you're flipping me off right now. If I look no. at the, okay. <laughs> no, two fingers, it was, it was two fingers. I could only <laughs> see the middle one there. Um, you look tired. I promise we won't do these late, late podcasts as much anymore, but, uh, yeah, we'll see if the, uh, uh, what the schedule is like. We want to be consistent on being on Mondays from now all the way through the season. Next week might be a little weird though, um, traveling and stuff. Um, so we might have a podcast come out on Friday and not on the following Monday or whatever. We'll plan it all out, but obviously consistency is key. So from now through the season, we plan on being there every week and probably on Mondays. Uh, and then if we have any other stuff that pops up, maybe we'll do two podcasts in a week. So Michael, uh, Thank you for, I mean, we're back, baby. We got a whole we're, season. We are back. It's football time. I mean, it's finally here. It seems like just yesterday I was in the bushes of some poor Scottsdale high school <laughs> trying to find Zach Wilson on the field. But what an off here. season. What an off season. What an off season. That's true. That is the takeaway is if you go back to our podcast in January, it's like, all right, this is the biggest off season ever. And we say that every time. And you, I don't think they could have done much better. I'm not even saying that like, you know, as a Jets fan, I just think objectively to ask a Bears fan, you look at what the Jets roster looked like in January and what it looks like now, you have to be ecstatic. And finally, on the field tomorrow. So follow us at CYJ Pod, follow Michael, Michael underscore Nania, uh, myself, Ben W. Blessington on Twitter. Uh, go to jetsxfactor.com for the best place to go for Jets content. Uh, like, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, YouTube. I guess that's it. Michael, any last words? Uh, quickly, how would you rank your favorite off-season moments for this year? I'll, I'll go first. I got a couple. So um, I'm pretty sure we described this on the podcast, but you scouting out the Scottsdale High School to try to find Zach Wilson is definitely in my top three. Um, Jermaine Johnson trade and the reaction to that, our live reaction, watching the draft, and, and just that entirety of watching the draft. Um through zoom together it was very cool we shared our reactions um on twitter so that's in there as well um hey, what you feel watching the draft on zoom is cool wait till it's week one michael and i going to our first game together yes might also i mean my dad will be there as well so the three of us will be we'll be taking in jets and ravens yeah that'll be fun um trying to think of trying to think of a third to round it out 
Um, I don't know, but those two came to mind. So I guess uh, do you? I would have, say in addition I, to those, really, do you, have really any? you couldn't you couldn't think of a third. Okay, Zach Wilson banging his mom's best friend definitely up. There. <laughs> that probably, was good. Probably number one. Uh, yeah, I guess me like freaking out the entire high school security team as I'm trying to. They were practicing right by my house, so I had to go and see like, oh, can I go see him? Um, the only thing I took away from that, I talked to a few sources, and they said that they uh, they were there really early in the morning. So that, that was a good sign to me because that means they weren't out like partying. And then they were like, all right, let's roll to the field at noon. Like they were there like six 37 in the morning. So that was cool. Um, I would say that's up there. And then, yeah, the draft with the whole trade up. Oh, the, the Tyreek Hill saga for like two hours there. Ooh, I mean, not, uh, not- actually, I will put that in there just because I know it was a disappointing result, but that excitement for like an hour was, that was insane. That maybe should go in there. Yeah. And then I guess, um, I don't know. I think I think I felt pretty good uh, after the first day of free agency or the first two days of free agency when the Jets actually did something because too many times they've opened up and didn't do anything for the most of that first day. And like you see all the negative Jets tweets, um, but they signed Lakin and they re-signed Braxton like within the first hour. And so that placated the fans. And then I think I think their next move was. I don't know. Was it was it Whitehead? No, I don't know. I don't know. But then, then they, you know, they got Uzama and Reed and like the whole free agency period was, was a fun time. So yeah, a lot of good moments from this, this off season, hopefully even better moments during the season. I'm very excited to share that with you guys. Thank you so much for listening, coming back to this podcast. Uh, everybody have a great week. We'll be back probably with an episode on Saturday uh, and then we'll, we'll figure it out, but our schedule should be on Mondays um, from now throughout the season. So thank you for everybody for listening. Go Jets.